Well, good morning. Would you please turn with me to John chapter 11? You can Google it on your mobile device, or you can use the Bible in the seatbacks in front of you. It's on page 761, and the Bible's in the seatbacks. And, <clears throat> excuse me, as you're turning there, I want to set two different scenarios for you that are going to introduce not only the message today, but the series that we're about to jump into. The first is an experience many of us had when we were younger. When I was growing up, we had this thing in our house. It hung on the wall. It had this long curly cue cord that used to hang down off of it. And it would make this weird ringing noise. Noise. It was a telephone. And some of you are going, yeah, I've got a telephone. Totally different. Our phone had a wire you had to plug into it. You hid from no one. Your parents heard everything you said. And if you're old school, you remember the one where you had to like, bring the number all the way around to make a call. Can you imagine trying to text on that thing today? Just not going to happen. But that was what a phone was. That phone also had some things that phones today didn't have, like a busy signal. Anybody remember the busy signal? Or a dial tone, which you'd hear to know that the phone was actually working. I think if I picked up my cell phone and heard a dial tone right now, I had, would have no idea what to do. There were some things our phones didn't have. Early on, our phones didn't have any way of knowing who was calling you. None. No caller ID. My mom and dad didn't believe in answering machines, so there was no way to screen anything. When someone called, there was only one way to find out who was on the other end of that line. You had to answer. You had to pick up the phone. Can you imagine the anxiety around dinner time when your mom is like, do we answer or not because we're about to sit down and eat? Or companies coming over and you're trying to figure out what to do. And as kids, we didn't give it a second thought. We answered the phone. Hello? Is your mom or dad there? Yeah, hold on one second. Mom, dad, phone. Who is it? I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to know who's calling and the timing of it. Let me give you a second example of when it's nice to know someone. So have you ever had a situation in life where you wanted something? A job, a house. Maybe you saw a car for sale. Maybe it was somebody that you really wanted to meet. And you had no tie or no connection, but you knew someone who did. You find out about a job that's available from John Smith, and, and you ask John Smith, hey, when I go and apply for that job, can I tell them you sent me over here? Can I tell them that I know you? And you go and apply, and they don't really care about you. They're like, yep, nice to hear about you. And then you say, well, listen, I know John Smith. John Smith told me I should come and apply. And all of a sudden, their interest is peaked. Or there's that person you want to meet, and you're like, hey, I don't know them, but I, I want to meet them. Can, can you introduce me? Can you, can you say hello for me and point them out? What's the old adage? It's not what you know. It's who you know. We see that same thing being true with a guy named Moses in the Bible. Now, Moses had grown up. He was an Israelite who was raised in an Egyptian home. And the book of Exodus kind of gives you his whole story. Or Prince of Egypt, go rent the movie, kind of gives you an idea. Um, but Moses ends up on the run, running from his people, running from Egypt where he had grown up his homeland. He ends up on the backside of nowhere shepherding sheep. God shows up in his life and, and it literally tells him, I want you to go back to Egypt, the most powerful country in the known world at that time. I want you to go to the leader and I want you to tell him, set all the slaves free. All of them. All the ones doing all of the work. All the ones taking care of things around here. Let them all go. And then I want you to go to those slaves because they're the Israelites. They're my people. 
He said, I want you to go to those slaves and I want you to tell them, you guys follow me out of here. I'm going to lead you. Now, why in the world would they listen to this guy from the backside of nowhere who took off on them years ago? I mean, come on. It's just Moses. It's going to be up on the screen, Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. It says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is kind of that Clint Eastwood moment in a movie where he just steps up and is like, I dare you. It's the strong moment in the movie. The Israelites would have looked at Moses and said, okay, a God told you to come to us. It could have been one of the gods of Egypt. It could have been one of the gods in the strange land that Moses had run off to. And God says, no, tell them, the I am, the God, has sent you to them. It's a bold, blunt statement, and it leaves no room for doubt as to who's speaking. We fast forward now to a scene where Jesus is in another one of his notorious debates with some religious leaders. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, listen, you're a fraud. Everything you're doing, you've got some trick or you've got some way you're pulling strings for it to happen. Maybe it's demons, you're demon-possessed, and that's why you can do this stuff. And Jesus says, what I'm doing, I'm doing by God. And the the religious leaders say, "Uh uh-uh, listen, you don't know who we know. We... We're children of Abraham. So if anything is from God, we're going to be the ones who know it because that's our ancestry. And then Jesus blows their mind. It's going to be up on the screen. It's John chapter 8, verse 56 through 58. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, snap. Jesus here has just taken the moment with these religious leaders who say, you're a fraud, maybe it's demons, and Jesus is saying, hey, you remember back in Moses' day when God said, hey, go tell them I am has sent you? Jesus is saying, that I am is this I am. That was me. In this one statement, Jesus just doesn't say he's a God. He says he is God. Capital G, no one else beside him. This would have blown their minds. That's why at that point, they wanted to kill him. Seven other times, Jesus uses this I am statement. This parallel with God, I am God statement. To show who he is. And that's going to be this next series. Is the seven I am statements. We move into today's message. Jesus has a friend whose name is Lazarus. He gets word from some mutual friend saying, listen, Lazarus is really sick. And by really sick, I mean dead. 
And Jesus hears the news, but he doesn't take off to see Lazarus. And the disciples are saying, hey, man, we probably should go. Let's go check out and see what's going on with Lazarus. Jesus says, listen, Lazarus is sleeping. The disciples say, oh, good. Rub some Vicks on him. Let him rest. He'll be up and fresh in no time. And Jesus said, no, by sleeping, I mean dead. And he says, for your sake, I'm glad he is. Because what I'm about to do is going to blow your mind. Jack's version, paraphrased. We're going to pick up reading at John chapter 11 and start at verse 17. Now we're going to read quite a bit in this opening chunk, so I need you to stay with me. John chapter 11, verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come to the, to the world. Pause right here for a second. Martha runs and gets her sister Mary, tells her that Jesus is there. Martha and Mary go back to connect with, meet up with Jesus, and a group of people follow them thinking they're going to the tomb. Let's pick up reading verse 32. It says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Another pause, shortest verse in the Bible. And we get this picture of weeping, and we think of Jesus being like, oh, I'm just going to miss Lazarus. Who am I going to sit by at Christmas? I'm sad. This word here for wept isn't a mournful, isn't a sad weeping. If you look the verse before when it says that Jesus is moved and troubled in his spirit, the Greek word here, which is this is written in, is actually the sound that a bull or a horse makes before it's about to charge. It's a sound of disgust or anger. It's the breath out of the nostrils. It's that same sound. I just kind of picture Jesus in the presence of death and life, the very embodiment of life and death just don't mesh. Let's pick up reading verse 36. It says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid at the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This passage starts with a picture of Martha being true to character. Luke chapter 10 tells us that uh, Martha is the doer of the two sisters. She's the one who's super active and get it done type of person. She hears that Jesus is coming. She doesn't wait for Jesus to get to her. It says she takes off to meet him. Martha just couldn't sit still. And when she meets up with Jesus, we hear her heart come out of her words. And in it, we see probably one of the most human moments in the Bible. Martha spoke to Jesus, and it almost the first part sounds like a rebuke. And the second half is just kind of a statement full of faith. She starts off by saying, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have made it, if you would have just come when we first asked, my brother would still be here. Today, we may ask the question, God, if you would have just answered that prayer request, did you think we were joking? Did you think this was something that I was just hoping would be different? Lord, if you would have just moved in my child or in my job or in my health, God, if you would have done something, it would be totally different now. But now it's too late. And then she flips and her words change. And she says, even now, though, Jesus, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother is going to rise again. Martha answers, I know he'll rise again in the general resurrection of the last day. Now, this is pretty orthodox Jewish belief. They believe that when everyone died, they went to this place called Sheol, which is like a holding place. It's the predominant thought throughout the entire Old Testament. And in this holding place, at the end time, there's going to be this general resurrection where God takes his people out. And Martha's saying, you know, when that day comes, I'm sure that's when he'll be raised. And then Jesus says something which brought to that belief an entirely new meaning. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What in the world is he trying to say? He's not speaking purely about physical death. Because newsflash, we all die. If you're a Jesus follower or not a Jesus follower, we all physically die. Lazarus, who is raised from the dead, dies again. So what is he talking about here? There's a couple of different things. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, this is the first blank on your outline. He is the resurrection from sin and death, both now and in the future. Jesus is the resurrection from sin and death, both now and in the future. Let's look at that for a minute. Let's break that down. First of all, let's look at what it looks like now. Jesus was thinking of death and sin and rebellion that he brings us to life from now. We can become so selfish that we are dead to the needs of others. 
So insensitive that we are dead now to the feelings of others. We can be so involved in petty dishonesties, petty disloyalties of life, that we become dead now to honor. We can become so hopeless that we're filled with numbness and we're now spiritually dead. Jesus said, even if someone is dead in sin, disdain, and rebellion, even if they're dead and they're fine being separated from God, they've lost everything that seems to make life worth calling life. Jesus says, I can make them alive again. We go from the place of being dead in sin, wrapped up in our sin and our rebellion and our uh, angst against God, to being dead to sin. And fully alive. That doesn't mean that the temptations and the struggles don't come. But forgiveness is available. And we can be alive in Christ. Jesus Christ can resurrect us. The witness of history is that he's resurrected millions upon millions of people that fit this description. And his touch has not lost its ancient power. Jesus was thinking, of death now, but he's also thinking of the death to come. Jesus brought into this life certainly that death, certainty that death is not the end. You see, we call this the world of the living, the land of the living. If we're correct, though, if we back up and look at it, we should call this the land of the dying. Happy Thanksgiving. Through Jesus Christ, we know that we're journeying not toward a sunset but toward a sunrise we know as the english novelist mary webb put it that death is a gate on the skyline in the most real sense we are not on our way to death but on our way to life there was a king english king who lived almost a thousand years ago his name was edward the confessor he said weep not i shall not die and as i leave the land of the dying i trust to see the blessings of the lord in the land of the living. How does this even happen? We have to come to a realization that every one of us has an expiration date on us. Every one of us has a day that we're going to come to an end. Not a person in this room can skip that. But even with that in sight, Jesus said that date is not for a death. That date is to move into life. How? If we're in him. If we realize who the I am is, there's no other person, there's no other name, there's no other philosophy. God, what's the answer? Jesus said, I am. He's our source of life. Let's go to the next blank. Resurrection leaves death behind and is full of life. It leaves death behind and resurrection is full of life. Think about this. You can't have a resurrection until something dies. And for many of us, that means dying to what we want, dying to how we want it to go, dying to what we would prefer in life instead of Jesus' way. There has to be a death. But then for there to be a resurrection, it has to come to life. The dictionary's definition of resurrection is to raise from the dead, to bring to life again, not some zombie effect. This is full of life. Picture Lazarus. In the grave, behind the stone, stone rolls away, you hear the loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He's all wrapped up in the grave clothes. 
He may have done this thing. But he comes out of the door, and then Jesus says, unwrap him. I know what I'm thinking. I'm not touching him. Four days he's been in that grave. Martha says, Jesus, he's going to stink. I love the King James Version. He stinketh. And yet, this could be a message in itself. Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Death no longer has a grip on him. Why? Because he's been called. And answer the call to resurrection and life. I want to circle back for a second. Let's look at life now. What is it in your life that needs resurrection? What's the relationship? What's the health verdict? What's the state of mind that needs resurrection life? God closes doors on seasons of life. God sometimes moves us to the next thing. But there's also moments where we want to move on or we want to quit because it feels like it's dead. We have a choice. We hold on to the resurrection and the life or we continue to stare at the grave. What in our life needs resurrection? What feels like a frustrating loop, a spiral of death? And that spiral just seems to lead to hopelessness, lifelessness. We can embrace life. Or we can just continue to stare into the grave. But when we embrace that life, it brings us into two new relationships. The first one is with life itself. And the second one is with God, our Father and Creator. Let's start with the second one. We, we enter into a relationship with God, not this big ogre in the sky, not the lightning bolt zapper thrower who gets us for his entertainment. The God that Jesus talked about. The God that even when he sets guardrails for us, even when he corrects, even when he says this is off limits, it's for our good and it's out of love. Every parent in the room would understand that. Out of love, you don't say yes to everything. When we believe that God is as Jesus told us he is, then we become absolutely sure of his love. We become absolutely sure that he is above all a redeeming God. He wants us as his. The fear of death vanishes, for death means graduating to life. There's nothing to be afraid of. We enter into a new relationship with God. We enter into a new relationship with life itself when we accept jesus way when we take his commands as our laws and when we realize that he is there to help us to live as he's commanded life becomes a new thing one person i read and studied for this it was uh, said this i thought it was beautiful they said life is clad with a new loveliness a new winsomeness a new strength and when we accept christ's way as our way life becomes so lovely a thing that we cannot conceive of it ending incomplete when we believe in jesus when we accept what he says about god and about life and stake everything on it in truth we are resurrected for we are freed from the fear which is characteristic of the godless life we are freed from the frustration which is characteristic of the sin-ridden life we are freed from the futility of the christless life Life is raised from sin's death and becomes so rich that it cannot die but must find in death only the transition to a higher life. Jesus says, I am that resurrection and the life. And Jesus ends this time 
with Martha and Mary before he resurrects them, he asks them a question that I want all of us to hone in on. If you're joining us online, if you're doing something else and multitasking, focus on this for just a second. He asks a question that every one of us needs to be able to answer. And here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He doesn't ask, were you taught this? Well, yeah, I was in Sunday school. I know about all this stuff. I went to the seminars. I've been to the lectures. I know how, what, the, what it all, Jesus doesn't ask any of that. Jesus says, do you believe this? Has it made the drop from our head to our heart? Do you believe this? Not do you know about it. Do you believe this? Well, you know, I believe I'm a good enough person. I believe I'm, I'm good enough. I'm not Hitler range, but I'm probably not Mother Teresa range. I'm probably somewhere in there that I can slide in the door. Jesus didn't say, I'm the resurrection toward being good enough. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have life. Why? Because Jesus is our life. Do you believe this? There's only one way, truth, and life. Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through him. Do we believe this? And I'm going to tell you now, when the rubber hits the road, when things get tough, you're going to find out what you believe. When it looks like something is dying in life or around you, you're going to find out if you believe this or not. We start planning, usually month, close to months, if not months in advance, for these series. And I had no idea that I'd be speaking this the Sunday after returning from doing my dad's funeral. My dad was ready to go. He was 80 years old. Didn't know it was coming. But when he passed, he passed peacefully. And for the next half hour, my brother, my sister, myself, my wife, and then my brother-in-law, we prayed, we thanked God for my dad's life and testimony and witness. And then we told Vince Guerra stories, which are hilarious. I'm going to save some of those for Father's Day. My dad didn't have a dad, and he had to lean into his heavenly father as an example for what a dad should be. But when you're sitting there and you're looking at a lifeless body, there's something on the inside of you that just smiles and says, you're not dead, you're alive. You're enjoying the reward of a life lived for Christ. You're enjoying eternity with Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. Do I believe this? Emphatically, yes. But maybe your dad could have made it a little longer. If you would have known my dad, the idea of him walking around a nursing home with attached to something would have been absolutely brutal on the nurses who would have had to deal with him. He's more alive now than he ever could have been on this side of eternity. Do you believe this? Well, I'm still checking it out. I'm still waiting to see. Every week, probably one in four, one in five people are still just checking faith out. And I get that. And if you're here and that describes you, keep digging in. But there comes the moment where we all have to answer this question. Do we believe? Are we ready to go? Would you bow your heads with me, please? You may be here this morning and 
Maybe you're kind of the Christmas, Easter, maybe Thanksgiving. You may be in from out of town and visiting family, and, and church is relatively new. God is a nice idea, a nice thought, kind of a, a warm, fuzzy thought or a go-to if you're in trouble. But Jesus said it's a lot more than that. Do you believe this? Maybe you're here this morning and God has been simply safe. But this morning you're saying it's time to make this a relationship. It's time to be more than just an idea or cold religion. It's time to turn it over to Christ and recognize him as your resurrection and life. If you've never done that before, you just raise your hand up. We'd love to pray with you today. Okay, thanks. Maybe you're here and you look at life now and you see a lot of things that just seem dead. It may be in your marriage. It may be with a child. It may be in your health or your finances. And I can't tell you what God has in store for it, but I can tell you he is resurrection and he is life. If you're in that place and you say, I need strength to have the faith to answer that question, do I believe he can do this? Yes, I do. Do I believe that even if it doesn't end the way I thought, he's bringing me toward life? Do I believe that he's capable of doing exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think? If you're in that stuck place right now and you feel like you're staring at the grave or something like that, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Jesus, right now we come to you. For some people, it's a, it's a nervousness. For others, it's an utter desperation. And we call on you, God, for something that may seem like it's dying or it's dead. And we lay it before you. And Father, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. And we don't know your time frame, and we don't know your timeline, and we don't know your grand scheme. But God, this is where we trust you in faith. It seemed like it was too late for Lazarus, but it was actually right on time. And Lord, whatever the circumstances may be that we're facing, I put myself in, squarely in that mix, where it seems like something is dead, we thank you that you can speak life into it. Give us the strength and the boldness to rest on your Holy Spirit, which the Bible says gives us a peace that passes all understanding, that can guard our hearts and minds as we go through this. Lord, we thank you for your love, your compassion, your mercy. We also thank you for your life-giving power, that you are the great I Am. In Jesus' name we pray.